This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front on the Chicago Podcast Network. Uh, today, AJ and I will be kind of just doing some housekeeping on the current presidential election, uh, getting into a brief conversation at the start of the show about Batman v Superman. Hope you guys enjoy that. I thought it was pretty funny. Other than that, uh, it's time to do the regulars. You can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Chicago Podcast One. And you can uh, email us at Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com hope you guys enjoy the show thank you so much for subscribing to our podcast you can find us on itunes and podcast addict and don't forget to tell your friends other than that ladies and gentlemen here we go Hey everybody, thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sarantos, joined over the interwebs by Skype and other assorted technologies with my good buddy AJ Signeri. AJ, say hello to the wonderful people who listen to our show. Hello, people. There it is. So, folks, today uh, we're going to kind of just, it's it's been sort of the same old, same old in the world of politics, but we're going to get into where we're at right now, kind of look forward a little bit with the presidential primaries, talk a little bit more about what happened here in Illinois. There's a story about a Trump campaign manager I want to get into, uh, a few other things going on, uh, but I want to open the floor to AJ because I want to know where you're at right now with, with everything that's going on. Well... You know, I've been <laughs> painstakingly looking at all of these numbers and watching MSNBC and Fox and crunching numbers and having sleepless nights and everything. So I know you come to me for certain things, but I want to go to you for something. Yes, sir. I want to know a, your take on a very heavily contested race. Yes, is Batman better than Superman? Oh, so we're going to just go into that right now. Well, we kind of have to because it was last weekend was opening weekend, if I'm correct. You you are, in fact, correct. And I did see it opening night with a large number of friends. We went and saw it at the Arclight in Glenville, which is one of the nice little theaters. Uh, speaking of which, any movie theater, by the way, AJ, that tells you that if you're late to a movie, they won't let you in is is, is wrong, which is what this theater now claims. Uh, I'm not kidding. What? They literally have it on their website. If you buy tickets to our shows, we, we appreciate your business, but anyone who arrives late will not be admitted to the theater. Define late. I, I don't know. During trailers? After the movie starts? That's start? what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, you can be late during commercials because that's like the yellow light of movies. <laughs> like, this is the, oh shit, I forgot to get soda. Now I've got a, I've got about seven minutes to go get that as long as I don't care about any of the trailers. Especially uh, you know what kind of trailers they're going to be showing, you know? Yeah. Uh, Batman v Superman is Batman. Well, Batman is always better than Superman. That's not even like a question in my world. He's always better than Superman. Uh, he's better than Superman in this movie. There's, it, it's, I mean, if you want to know about the film itself, I, this is what I've said to a few people who've asked me who haven't seen it. I assume you haven't seen it. Not yet. I mean, that's one of the things I'm trying to watch this weekend. Okay. If you're not a fan of the comics, if you're not a fan of the stories that have gone before, it's a very confusing movie because there's a lot of motivations that aren't really explained. Like the big one being, why are they fighting? Like mm -hmm. uh, it's at no point is the explanation for why Batman is pissed at Superman good enough for you to be like, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Batman would do all of this without thinking he's the world's greatest detective and he spends 
a lot of time going through evidence of another thing, but at no point going, eh, maybe I should take a look into this General Zod character and see if maybe he was the villain the last time uh, during Man of Steel, as opposed to blaming the dude who tried to save the world, which, you know, he doesn't really because he lets all those people die in Man of Steel. Uh, it, it's just, it's a very confusing movie. There's a lot of decisions that were made you know the conversation you and i've had for the last even since i think you and i were at the old radio station when it was originally announced this movie if i remember correctly and you and i talked about how dc just makes all the wrong choices that trend continues but i want to i want to get to that point if i may for, for a moment i so i'm really on this suicide squad um kick right now and I was watching a review on someone's YouTube vlog, is what I call them. And he mentioned something on there that I never really took into account before. And that is, if you look at DC Universe in the movies and the Marvel Universe in movies, why is it that DC Universe is much darker <clears throat> than Marvel? In other words, if you look at Marvel the colors kind of pop a little bit more. There's a little bit more energy behind certain Marvel characters and everything. But we'll put that off to a side for a second. If you look at DC, everything's darker. I mean, Superman's outfit is even a darker blue. Wonder Woman has a darker color and everything. And is, is the movie universe trying to portray that, yeah, even though these are heroes, antiheroes, whatever you want to call them, are really, really darker characters than what's led to believe in the past. There is some of that. I also think a big part of it is the director, who is Zack Snyder, who is quickly <laughs> going into my realm of least favorite director. Right. Because uh, he does all this stuff. But the, what I would decided to say is it's muted colors, where yes. they, it feels like it's being run through a color filter that tune, turns down all the brightness. And... You're right. They they treat them all as anti-heroes. And here's my problem with that. Superman and Wonder Woman, not anti-heroes. They're just heroes. Batman is an anti-hero right. because he's technically going against what the law says he should be doing. But even that, he's a hero. If you're asking, like, why do they do it differently? I think because the people who run Marvel, I think that what happened is when Marvel Studios, the movie studio, got founded, it was founded by Marvel Comics. It wasn't right. founded by Disney. It was eventually bought by Disney. But I think what happened is Marvel is run by fans. DC is run by studio, Warner Brothers studio executives. And at least that's the impression that you get. And there are so many decisions that you get into. But the color thing is huge. Because if you, even from the trailers that you've seen, I wouldn't say that they look black and white, but they look like no. there's only like three colors in the movie. Right. Dark. Well, even look at the DC logo at the beginning of the thing, you know? The DC comic logo is even dark. And if you look at Suicide Squad, it looks like they switch it up and like, oh, we're not going to make it colorful now because we're going about this the wrong way. Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it as with Suicide Squad trailer that they're trying to brighten it up now because you have now brighter characters. You, you, you've got to love the idea that they're brightening it up with the movie that's about the villains. Right. Like, that's the weird thing. You want to talk about anti-heroes. Yeah, I mean... That's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're talking about a movie franchise there with Suicide Squad in particular where it's like, 
Okay, so you're going for Guardians of the Galaxy feel and your movie that's about villains, but in your movie that's about your your holy trinity of heroes, which in comic book that's what they're called, the holy trinity of heroes, they they are depressed, they're sad. I don't want a sad Superman. Can I can I say that enough times, by the way? <laughs> I, I said that when the first Man of Steel came out. I don't want a sad Superman. It pisses me off to see a sad Superman because that's not what he is. And this whole movie is just him with that. And it's a word, I honestly, AJ, I don't even necessarily know the entire meaning of the word in a traditional sense, but it's the only word that fits. Superman spends that entire movie with a dour expression on his face. But here's the other thing. There's two more points I want to make. One is, and I'm seeing this brightening of characters because if you look at Jared Leto's character, Joker, yeah. is, more, is brighter than Heath Ledger, Ledger's Joker, you know? And, and I don't want to dwell into this because I think this could be a whole episode in itself. Your thoughts on Joker being Jason Todd. I, I like the idea of it. it. It's just that it it feels to me like if they're going to go the route that Jason Todd, and for those of you listening who don't know the Batman mythos, uh, if you've seen the trailer for Batman v Superman where he walks past the Robin costume and it says, ha-ha, jokes on you, it's a reference to a comic book that came out in the late 80s called Death in the Family where Robin is beaten to death with a crowbar by the Joker. And uh, very famously, little aside, that comic book ended on issue three with an 800 number and then they waited a month and let people call in and vote as to whether or not Robin would live or die. And it came in by like 65 votes, very famously. Like it was like over like 400,000 people voted. And of that 400,000, it was a difference of 65 votes that Jason Todd would die. Anyway, that doesn't really matter. But in the, in the movie, it looks like that's what happens to Robin as well. And I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be Jason Todd or if he's just the Joker. The, it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure how I really feel about it, though, because I'd have to see how they decide to go about it. It just it doesn't feel like if that's the choice that they make. I don't like. I personally will tell you that I probably won't like that, man. I, it's just going to be because the Joker is the Joker and Jason Todd can be his own villain. You can use that later and tell a better story if the Joker is the Joker. Uh, in the Dark Knight Returns comic, the very famously, he's in Arkham Asylum when Batman comes back and hasn't said a word since Batman retired. And then he sees Batman on the news and that's the Joker, like, says his first word in 10 years. That to me is a cooler concept than this is just the rebirth of Robin. Like, I, that, me personally, I don't know. But well, it, man, I, I, I mean, someone was pointing out that if you look at Jared Leto's Joker, he has similar, like, bullet wounds like in the bat suit of in Batman v Superman and everything so some people are led to believe that Leto's Joker is really Jason Todd I, I, I mean I think it's possible I, I think AJ I honestly think that they are grasping at straws to try to catch right. up with Marvel I really think that that's the case, and they're just kind of leaving choices on the table so they can do things later and, and make decisions later. Like, put it to you this way: I, I'm a. I think you and I have talked. I don't know if on the on the show or not, but my favorite show on television right now, and it's on new tonight, is The Flash. I love The Flash. I never thought in my life I would be a viewer of the CW, but I watch three shows a week now on the CW. 
And oh, wow. I watch Flash, I watch Arrow, and I watch DC's Legends of Tomorrow. All three are amazing, but Flash is the best of the three. And it isn't even the first. Arrow was first, but Flash is better. Flash is more entertaining. And when Batman v Superman introduces the Flash, which they do, I'm not, like, you, that in, implication was there in the trailers already, it's not the same actor. It's not the same character. Oh, wow. And, and okay. that's the kind of shit that I'm like, three million people a week watch the flash okay you could have just had a great moment for those people to get them enthused and sell your product for you i think that's part of what marvel does so well that dc hasn't learned how to do is to get the fans to sell people on their product the first iron man movie came out it wasn't the advertising that made people go see Iron Man. It was that everybody has a friend like me who looks at their friends and goes, we should go see Iron Man. I'm not really con- – yeah, this is different. This isn't what you think it is. We should all go see this, and it'll be good. And then after Iron Man, it was you have to see Iron Man 2. Iron Man 1 was amazing. Then it's you've got to see Cap. You've got to see Thor. Holy shit, they're making an Avengers movie, and now you've got five years' worth of movies that gets us to this point, and the fans are selling it to their friends. You see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, and you know, it, and it helps. I feel in the Marvel universe movies that you have the right actors with the right characters. I don't think anyone could play Tony Stark other than Robbie Downey Jr. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I don't think you can play Cap, Captain America, without. Chris Evans. I mean, I, we know that you can do a different Hulk. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to nothing against Mark. Well, we, and we've seen that before. And, and, I, Ed, I, and Ed Norton's not that. But he was Ed Norton was actually I thought pretty good as the as the Bruce Banner character. But the Hulk yes. effects hadn't gotten to where they needed to be yet, mm-hmm. which is a big problem. Uh, but I would even argue that even more than. Chris Evans is Captain America. Is uh, Chris Hemsworth's casting as Thor is one of the great. You know, take a guy who's moderately known and turn him into a superstar because I've seen Hemsworth in other stuff and he's just basically Thor. Like, he's fantastic as Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and let's face it, the other big thing in those movies, Tom Hiddleston is Loki. Right. Perfect casting to the point where he's even arguably more popular than most of the Avengers with the exception of Iron Man. Like, he's great, and they do such a good job of going to the conventions and selling the hardcore fans on, this is why you want this guy. They don't force stuff. And the decisions that were made in Batman v Superman that were, first of all, I will personally, I loved Affleck as Batman, but I will say that of the eight people I went to the movie with, it was split four and four, whether they liked Affleck or not. And it was not, you know, middle of the road. It was either I loved him as Batman or I hated him as Batman. Nobody was like, eh, it was fine. Either they loved him or they hated him. And I think Dave, who you know, said it best. He's watching the movie. He goes, the problem that he had is he never at any point looked up at the screen and went, that's Bruce Wayne. Every single time Affleck's on screen, and even listen to how I'm talking about it now, you go, that's Ben Affleck. So I think if you don't like Ben Affleck, you won't like him as Batman. He's not going to win any new fans over, but if you have, if you liked him before, then you'll like him as Batman. And I always loved Affleck. But that's that's I think that's a problem with Batman because we've had so many Batmans in our lifetime that you know who? How can you say that that's Bruce Wayne? Because 
I think the only person who can you can probably say that is um, what I lose his name. Michael Keaton, Adam West, no. Christian Bale. Thank you, Christian Bale. <laughs> I left out Kilmer and Clooney. And you, you kind of have to. Yeah. Uh, well, I always well, said Christian that Bale. I can see Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne because he has that certain persona about him, whereas Affleck may have a certain aura about him. There's not that. Oh, that's Bruce Wayne. You know what? I I would say though that he's first of all his Batman is much older and experienced. Like this is a Batman who has been retired for like eight years. 10 years or something like that. And he plays it that way. He plays it as a man in his late 40s, early 50s who comes back to it now because he has to. And he plays it very, very well. So when you see it, I, I would say just keep an open mind on him. But there is something to be said for that. But I would argue, based on what you're saying, there's the James Bond theory. I mean, how many different James Bonds are there at any given point? You know, you could argue that Timothy Dalton was never really James Bond. I would say Roger Moore was never really James Bond. But Connery, you know, Brosnan... Daniel Craig, they're all fine. I think changing the character is okay. I just think changing the character fundamentally in every incarnation is the problem. Well, I think because James Bond another, is James Bond in every applies, movie, and something that you won't like, but I'm just gonna say it anyways. Okay, it's like the Doctor Who theory. Insofar as this, you don't cast Doctor a per, an actor for Doctor Who because it's the person. You cast the person playing Doctor Who because that's Doctor Who. Right. I get what you're saying. Like the character is more important than the actor. Right. Yeah. And that- I mean, I mean, obviously, if you live in the UK, oh, it's going to be David Tennant. Dave Tennant's popular over there, obviously. So people are going to say, oh, I like that versus Matt Smith and everything. But from a non-UK perspective, and if you looked at Doctor Who's personality over time, you have to match the personality in order to cast that character and everything. And that's what I've seen so far watching all of Doctor Who, is that you have to cast someone who is Doctor Who. And the same thing with Bruce Wayne. You have to cast somebody that's Bruce Wayne, all right, but not you've been, how, owing how long have you been this a do- person to get money out of it. How long have you been a Doctor Who fan? Um, I've been years? a Doctor Who addict since 2012. Okay, so 2012. So not super long. Um, what... I, the reason I'm asking you that is based on what you know of the character Doctor Who, and if you'd known him longer, it'd be more uh, appropriate. But based on what you know of the character, what if the next Doctor, not the one who's currently doing that, is it Peter Capaldi? I think his name yeah, is. Right. See, I don't watch, but I follow. Um, That's a good step. Yeah. He <laughs> he's he's a from what I've read, he is either loved or hated right now as a doctor. But I imagine that that transition tends to take about a year and a half, two years, Correct. before a guy really wins everybody over. But what if in the next incarnation of the doctor, the doctor went from again, this is what I mean, went from that lighthearted adventurer to a dour, angry, mass murdering, Punisher like psychopath. He would no longer be Doctor Who, correct? Correct. That's the problem with this movie. Batman kills people left and right with no regard for what he's doing and doesn't reflect on it. Alfred doesn't mention it. Nobody says anything. Superman is okay with people dying left and right, and they make no effort to do anything about Because here's my thing. When you watch The Avengers 2, the last one, which yes. you saw, I believe, right? 
Correct. Okay. My my favorite scene in that movie, because it was coming off of the heels of, of Man of Steel, funny that it rhymes, he... <laughs> The first thing that they say when that island starts to, or that city starts to rise into the sky, is we need to get all of the people off of this rock. And the main plot of that fight is not the fight between the Avengers and Ultron. It's the fight between the Avengers keeping the Ultron away from civilians so they can save as many people as possible. Right? Correct. That's a superhero. That's the difference between a hero and a superhero. A hero will go in guns blazing and do whatever he wants, but a superhero's main concern is saving innocent lives. And when I watch Batman v Superman, and there's a sequence where Batman's in a car chase, and I'm telling you, dude, there are people clearly in the cars, and he's blowing them up left and right. So riddle me this. Riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? Sorry. I want to watch Batman forever now. Continue. What you just said about being a superhero and all that great jazz, right? Mm-hmm. Then why is it we have people voting 40% or higher for Donald Trump? Ah, nice segue. Well done. We did our 20 See? minutes. Yeah, I like that. You're a professional. Someone would think that you are a trained broadcaster, sir. No. No. All right. Um, I don't know. I don't know how we live. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't have an answer to the question because here's, here's what I say. I, I, I live in those... As horrible as this is, and not horrible, but as strange as it is to say this, my brain exists in the world where good is pretty easy to identify most of the time. Uh, knowing the right thing to do is, generally speaking, inherent in most people. And I don't know how this all praise be to the future glorious leader that I'm sorry. I just, I've convinced myself that he's going to win now. So I'm just preparing myself for the day that he becomes, you know, Kim Jong-un prepare yourself for that bullshit. I'm just saying all praise be to the glorious leader. Uh, I'm just saying that because there's a microphone in front of me and they're listening now and it'll eventually be used against me in a court of law. Boom, boom. Well, I'm, well, I'm glad you're bound before me. Go ahead. Yeah, it's not. It's fine. Uh, no, <laughs> you and I are both gone. What? <laughs> Let's face it, if, if if the glorious leader were to win, guys like you and me would be, first of all, we'd be sued for this podcast where we're bad-mouthing him even slightly, and we're not even making fun of his tiny fingers or his small penis, and it's just gotten to the point where I don't know how, I guess we're starting to get an idea of what it must have been like to live in Germany in the 1930s, Right? I, I don't know if I want to even want to stretch that far, quite honestly. Not because I want I don't want to be naive about it, but it's unfair. I, what you think it's unfair to make that comparison? I don't know about unfair. It's just that obviously not being Jewish and not being that part of time and everything. So I can't like really relate to what happened then. But I guess what I can say is this: is that if this is what fascism may look like in the United States. Buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> you well, know what I'm saying? But to answer your, your initial question was, why do people who, why do people do this? It's, it's just, I, I really do. I keep coming back to that quote from the American president. People will walk through the desert and see a mirage, and when they get to the mirage, if they don't see the water, they'll drink the sand because they don't know any better. And it, and it's really getting to feel like that because this man has offered. I think the thing that annoys me the most about him, AJ, right now, is that whenever somebody tries to pin him down on specifics, he is 
basically allowed to go, I'm going to do it. And they go, well, how? I'm just going to do it. And that seems to be acceptable to the to these people who are voting for him. And I don't get it. And I don't understand why he's doing it. And I really don't want... Here's my question to you, AJ. Let me flip it back to you. Is it possible that the people who are voting for Trump, keep in mind the numbers that we're talking about here, are that stupid? Are they that stupid? Because I hate saying stuff like that because it is dismissive. But I'm really curious. Do you think that they are stupid people? Because at some point, that's the only explanation to me. Um. Again, I don't, I'm I'm also the person that doesn't want to label someone stupid because that's very dismissive. Right. However, <laughs> um, I just don't understand how you can vote for someone that clearly does not know anything about foreign policy, that clearly is, knows what capitalism really does and just kind of wrenches down on that who clearly has violent rhetoric and racist rhetoric and you're okay with that and and more importantly and I can't stress this enough is really using the political arena as an entertainment platform and that's purely what it is it's nothing but ratings and he knows ratings he knows what jives with people and unfortunately he's saying certain buzzwords that resonates with a certain demographic in the United States, and those are the people who are voting for him. And because he knows ratings in the entertainment world, and because he understands certain things in the business world, that those people who happen to live in the South, who happen to live in certain rural areas, who happen to be a certain race with a certain socioeconomic status, are going to vote for him. I just I, I, I that's look, how I really see it. It's I, just I, I don't know how else to. I, I mean, honestly, this is what happened. This is no joke. I was on a date with somebody, and politics came up, and they said I voted for Trump, and I'm like, I can no longer be on this date. I couldn't. I, I just <laughs> couldn't. No, I understand. Kind of I understand. by me. I'm like, why? And I go, um. I think you're a great person, but I think a vote for him means these things. And and, and I, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's necessarily a wrong thing to do. I really don't. Uh, and the reason that I say that is I I feel right now if I find out that somebody look I'll put it to you this way if I find out that someone I know who is a lifelong Republican says that they voted for Trump because they just can't vote for Hillary or Sanders. I'm not saying that I agree with what they're saying, but I at least understand where they're coming from, right? They're a staunch Republican. They, that's what they believe. Fine. But it's the people, AJ, like even worse than that to me is if I have a conversation with somebody who I kind of know and they tell me that they're either, either voting for Sanders or Trump, that's the people that I kind of go, we can't talk anymore. Because if you're willing to vote for both of those people, then you don't understand what they stand for. Either one. Because that just to me tells me that you're voting for somebody who you think is an outsider, like that's instantly qualifies somebody for your vote, where one wants to break up the big banks, the other wants to deregulate them to the point where they can do whatever they want. One is pro-choice, one is says he's pro-life, but who really knows what he actually is on that issue, probably doesn't really care, because it doesn't affect Trump University or Trump the how does WWE it doesn't affect the Trump universe. Right. You know? And 
he would basically do whatever anybody around him says to do. One has 40 years worth of experience as a governor or as a mayor and a, and a senator. One guy has a business record that implies that all he does is rip people off, and it doesn't take much to look at that. You know, it, and it's just like they are two diametrically opposed people who believe incredibly different things and stand for incredibly different things, by which I mean one stands for something one has no beliefs that matter at all except that he's great. I mean, honestly, that's what I feel like with Trump. I don't feel that if Trump were running because there was an issue that he was truly passionate about, AJ, I think I could deal with it a little bit more. Like, if he really believed that illegal immigration was a problem, if he really thought that, I think I could respect it a little bit more. But I don't get that from him. Do you get that he be- that he even cares about a single issue that he's brought up? I don't think he even cares. I, I really don't know, and I've been trying to read this guy ever since he announced. And I'm, I've been trying I, to read this guy even before that, going back to 2008 when he was trying to run, and going before that to when he was trying to sell himself as this thing. I've been trying to understand this dude since he agreed to be in a six-week feud with Vince McMahon to go into WrestleMania 23 in a Battle of the Billionaires hair versus hair contest. Yeah, but that Trump, I was dismissive about because that's Donald Trump, the public figure, the entertainer, right? Right. Because why should I believe someone like that who's actually going to run and so forth and so forth, right? Now we're talking Trump, the politician now, and there's a certain regard that you have to hold a higher standard to and everything. And now that he's talking about immigration, he's talking about all the stuff— and he really has nothing to offer, and everything he does offer is nothing more than a vacuum. You know, I mean, if he would to say, "Okay, here's my stance on immigration. I think there is a drug cartel. I think this is going on. I think this is going on, and here's what I want to do." Now he gave me something to work with. Now I'm like, "Okay, let me disseminate this for my own, um, or excuse me, dissect this on my own regard and see where." I disagree or may tolerate with you and everything, but he doesn't. He doesn't talk about, you know, make a great, make America great again and bring jobs to America. Okay. How? Don't, in order to bring jobs to America, you have to end globalization. You have to end NAFTA, CAFTA, and not have the TPP. You have to agree on that you, as a capitalist, needs to say that in order to make jobs in America great again, you're going to end those kind of programs and show me as a capitalist what you're going to do. I may disagree with you on it, but show me something. I, I, I want to run some through some numbers with you because I, there is a thing that's been going on where the, 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 the mainstream media, and I, and I hate using that term because it, it just but basically in the in the, of the big networks the big newspapers this is the narrative has been trump can maybe win the republican primary but he gets killed by hillary in the general or he'll get beaten by sanders in the general election i don't know if that's true and the reason that i don't know if that's true is because there are states that no matter who the republican candidate is going to be they will win those states correct Right. Okay. There are states that the Democrats will automatically win. You show me that great website. I've referenced it several times since you introduced me to it, 270 to win. And it gives you an idea of where the battleground states will be in the upcoming election. Of those battleground states, 
four have had open primaries, which means any number of people can vote. They're not closed caucuses, right? Of right. those four, Republicans had a bigger voter turnout than Democrats of those four states in the primary. Uh, Republicans were more than 9,500 in North Carolina, 33,000 more Republican voters in, Nor- in New Hampshire, 652 thousand in florida eight hundred and forty thousand in ohio now if you take those votes and you subtract trump from those votes they don't come close to the democrats so the question need and the, the number of total trump votes in those states north carolina four hundred and fifty thousand new hampshire one hundred thousand florida one million one point five million ohio just under a million and if you combine those two you get over just over five uh, just over 5 million votes, but they're basically split in half between the two. Democrats collectively are at 4 million or 4.2 million in those states. But the thing that scares me about that is you essentially need to cut those Trump votes in half and assume half are going to go Democrat hats are going to go Republican. Unless it's Hillary Clinton. If Hillary Clinton is the nominee, I believe all of those Trump voters will automatically vote Republican which puts the Republicans over based on just those numbers in the general election. And I think that Trump could actually be the next president if he is, in fact, the nominee. And that is the most terrifying aspect of the next eight months. That can happen. It's not that far off of a thing for that to happen. So when people start, you know, you don't watch South Park, right? Not as I used to. They did an episode last year where Mr. Garrison, the school teacher, uh, gets fed up with all of the illegal immigrants in South Park. The difference is the illegal immigrants are Canadians. They're all coming from Canada. Of course. Because it's South Park. And right. the whole thing is that Garrison, and excuse my language, people who are listening, but he says the only solution to this is to find out why they're all coming here and fuck them all to death. That's what he says. And they go, what do you mean by fuck them all to death? He goes, I literally mean I'm going to find them and I'm going to fuck them until they die. And the episode ends with Garrison going into Canada to try to figure out why there are so many Canadian immigrants coming in. And it turns out that they, the, the joke is that he goes to the Canadian Prime Minister's office and it's like Canadian Trump. And they just start screaming at each other. He goes, what happened to my country, buddy? He goes, what happened to my country, guy? And they start fighting. And then suddenly, Mr. Garrison literally fucks the prime minister to death, including, by the way, a hit of poppers while he's doing it. I figured you'd like that little Easter egg there. And then they come back to America and they go, why did this happen? And a Canadian citizen who's come to America says, and I swear to God, this is how they frame it. And this is in... September of last year, this aired. We thought that it was funny. This guy was going up on stage and saying crazy things and stupid things, and we all laughed, and we all kept saying this this is great because this is making it more entertaining, but there's no way that this guy could ever win. And by the time we all woke up to say, all right, let's get serious, it's time to really think about this, he was already being sworn in. It's, it's, it's a prophetic South Park episode because that's where I think we're at right now, man. Like we all think anyone who's not a Trump supporter goes, there's just no way, right? There's just no way, but there is a way. We're this close to it now. And 
there's all this talk about a brokered convention, and I'm telling you that that is actually, people are going into that going, well, that'll destroy the Republican Party. I'm telling you right now, AJ, a, a brokered Republican convention wins the Republicans the election. Do you know why? Why? Coverage. The Republicans will own television for two weeks. They'll own it for the week going into the convention, and they'll own it the week of the convention. And that'll be two 14 straight days of nothing but Republican politics on the news, which, whether we want to admit it or not, elevates them because they're what people are talking about. And in that two-week period, Sanders and Clinton will fade from the front. And they will be forced to watch a reality television show, the most important reality television show in human history, about who will play the next free leader, the next leader of the free world. And it's going to go to the guy who spent in the, uh, the last 10 years on reality television. Now, 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 can I talk about conventions for a moment here? Please do. So I was watching Rachel Maddow's show once, and she was talking about conventions. She was talking about this broker convention and everything. And. And I have to say, anyone who saw that, um, I really think that Rachel Maddow gave conventions a disservice because the way Republicans and Democrats do conventions is not how other parties do conventions. They do it the way conventions are supposed to be. You don't have pledged delegates. You don't have super delegates. You have organizations, whether local or state organizations within your own party you go to convention you listen to the nominees that are running for president and they vote and that's it you don't go to caucuses you don't go to primaries um you don't do any of that you might do like polls here in illinois we're gonna say jill stein is gonna be the green party president in california Mimi Stolsticks will be the Socialist Party USA candidate. You might do that, but you're not going to go like to various primary caucuses and everything. So the whole idea of conventions on the Democratic-Republican side is really ass-backwards because you just don't do those things. You know, Conventions, when they first got started in the United States, was simply that. You have the every four years a convention like this and you send delegates of your respective state organization to the convention and that's where you also vote in certain bylaws changes the bylaws add planks to your platform etc cetera, etc cetera. that's the only delegates you send you don't like vote delegates <laughs> within the democratic or republican party like well, we did ask, here well, in illinois let me let me ask you this though um is part of that because they have such smaller turnout in comparison? Like, it, it, I'm just saying, because right now, you know, part of the reason they do it the way they do it is so that they can get an idea of, you know, how many people, all that kind of thing. But, well, ask that question again, because I guess I, I lost what you were saying there. Well, no, my question is, is the reason that they're able to do it that way because there's so fewer people in those conventions that it's easy to do a one-time vote? Whereas if you look at the Democrats and Republicans, you know, you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of people who are involved in that process. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. No, no, I see what you're saying. So these days, yes, but before, no. I mean, you look at like Socialist Party now, which is Socialist Party USA, but used to be called Socialist Party of America. I mean, that goes back to the early 1900s where you had like 
thousands. I mean, it was like a million member organization at one point, you know, and like Chicago and Cook County Socialist Party had around 1,400 people. Well, actually, take that back. 14,000. Now I think about it. Excuse me. Um, but we're going back to 1912 at that point. Um, so, I mean, and that's how it was done and everything. And, and some now third party organizations are smaller than others, but that's the way conventions has always been done and everything. And you're right. I mean, Republicans and Democrats are bigger, but Republicans and Democratic parties are big temp parties. You know, yeah. you go to the Illinois primary, you had your choice of Republican or Democratic ballots. I'm not a Democrat, and you're not a Republican, but you, but both of us had a choice of which ballot to choose, and therefore, by the state of Illinois, you know, you're considered a, a Democrat because you pulled that ballot, you know? There is no membership with Democratic or Republican Party where you do with the Green Party, Socialist Party, Libertarian Party, Constitutional Party, so forth and so forth. So Republican Democratic parties are just ambiguous parties. You don't have memberships and everything. And it's really done by your county convention with your respective Republican Democratic parties in order to send delegates. Whereas with Green parties, Libertarian parties, Socialist parties, you actually formulate, you know, you know who's going to run to be delegates and you actually vote on those delegates. The more that Okay, I get what you're saying about that, but I I just I know it's a little bit nerdy. I was no, talking no, no, it's fine. It's what... fine. It's it, and it's good for people to know that stuff. But the the reason that I, I want to switch it back for just a second though is, but you understand what I'm saying about coverage, about news oh, coverage. You're absolutely and you're absolutely right because it's a spectacle, right? It's the and wrestle. The, it's the WrestleMania, the, the Super Bowl the of politics. Is a spectacle these days, right? And I don't know if that's, I don't think that that's the way it's supposed to be, but that's the way that we've, we've transitioned it now. And, and everything that we see. And again, like you said, you went on a day with somebody, and you're like, I can't go out with you. You voted for Trump. And then they get their, this thing in their mind, like, well, what, what's so wrong about that? And you go, you clearly don't understand the importance of what this is, is happening. And my problem I think I have right now, AJ, is that anyone who I, I encounter who is a Trump supporter, their reasons are so, ambiguous because his answers are ambiguous i think that they're just drawn to the celebrity i had a conversation with a guy who grew up in the uh in sarah who is a man in his i want to say late 50s early 60s now he grew up in serbia bosnia yugoslavian area when he was you know coming up like throughout when I say that, all of that crap, I don't know how else to, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like the Milosevic of the situation. Yeah. And he, and he's a client of my father and we went out to have lunch and he and I, it was me, him and his son. And I'm sorry, his son, him, his son and I, sorry, grandma. <laughs> the proper grammar is important. She used to hit me. The, that's not true. She would never hit me. The, <laughs> But we're having lunch and we're eating this food and he's a very nice guy, 
But he tells me that he's, he's asking me who I'm voting for. So I'm voting for Sanders. And he said, why? I said, because I believe in what he stands for. I believe that socialism is the only possible, like a, a form of socialism is the only way that the humanity can survive another 200 years. And he says, well, you know, I go, who are you voting for? He says, I'm voting for Trump. And I, and I was really shocked because most immigrants that you deal with don't want to vote for Trump because he will kick them out of the country. And he says, I think that Trump is a peacenik. I think that Trump will stop war. Mm-hmm. And I went, what makes you think that? And without realizing it, he gave me the Nixon theory of foreign policy. Do you remember the Nixon theory of foreign policy? Well, which one? The one that says that because Nixon is so crazy, no one will screw with us. Oh, yeah, okay. Right? Right. And that's what his theory is. He goes that people won't be able to predict him, so they won't be able to play games with him. And I said, yes, but we're not able to predict him, and we will be playing games with him. And at some point, that dude's going to wake up one morning and go, they insulted me in, in, in Pakistan. It's time to bomb them back to the Stone Age. And people will be legally obligated to follow his orders up to a point. I did like, did you happen to see the interview that was on Real Time with Bill Maher with, I can't remember his name, but the former director of the CIA? Uh, what's no. his what's his name? Um, sorry, I gotta look it up. But he, Penay? Uh, no, no, it's uh, General Michael Hayden. Oh, okay. He had Michael Hayden on, and Michael Hayden said, "He goes, listen, there's a lot of rhetoric that he's spreading that, technically speaking, the military would be legally obligated to disobey his orders because they have in the Army Code." That if you feel a law, uh, an order is against the law or is against moral, you know, standards, you have to, you are legally required to refuse. As an example, if a commander were to order you to slaughter a village full of innocent civilians, you are legally required to not follow that order. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a smaller version of what they, he was talking about is, is like when Trump says, well, we're going to torture people, you know, so much that they'll, they'll give not, they'll do nothing but give up information. And he's going, you legally aren't allowed to do that in the United States. We're a signature. We're a signee of the Geneva convention. You're not allowed to do that sort of stuff. Right. And it's, it's just like this whole thing of, he says this stuff and people start cheering. Not to mention we live in a time, AJ, where people cheer for torture. But I really feel that people don't like intelligent candidates. Yeah, I mean, that explains what happened to Dukakis in 88. Well, I mean, that and, okay, so one of my, I guess I guess you can call them idols, is Ralph Nader. Okay. okay. He's ran in 2000. He ran in 04. He ran in 2008 for president, okay, as a Green Party candidate as well as an independent candidate for president. And you look at the things he has done as a private citizen, like he got seatbelts in cars with his book, Unsafe at Any Speed. He launched departments like OSHA, EPA, he has done a lot of great good for the consumer, for the environment, and everything else. And he's done a lot of this stuff and everything as a lawyer, as an activist, as an organizer, as a social entrepreneur and everything. Um, you know, he's inspired groups like the Center for Auto Safety, the Clean Water Action Project, 
um, the public research interest group, which is there's one in Chicago and all that great stuff, written many books, and yet people don't like him because he's a policy wonk. He, dare I say, looks different and sounds different. Then you have Trump. We're going to build a wall. Mexico's going to pay for it. With a trade deficit, which, as John Oliver <laughs> pointed out, did you see the piece he did on the wall itself? No. All right, you got to look it up. It's on YouTube. It was the last show he did. He did 20 minutes on his main story that night was, all right, let's take a serious, it was not the man, but let's take a serious look at his plan. And they break down what it would cost to build the wall, what it would cost to maintain the wall, and whether or not it would be effective. And one of the lines that Oliver even says is he goes, so let's get this straight. You're going to use a trade deficit to force Mexico to pay for the wall. The only problem with that is that is not how a trade deficit works. It's not like the money is sitting in a room somewhere saying, don't let Americans use this to build a wall. It goes to private businesses. Yes, when you don't manufacture stuff, you are going to be in a trade deficit with other countries because you buy more stuff from them than they buy from you because you're not making anything that they want to buy. Mm -hmm. So... His plans don't make sense. And I think the thing that bugs me the most about this current candidacy is uh, you get to people who talk, and I'm sure you've had this conversation at least with one person, well, he's an amazing businessman. And you go, he's not, though. He's not. He is almost worth as much as he was when he started his building his empire. And it, it goes up and down how much money he makes. But he actually has liquid assets in the hundreds of millions not billions of dollars and when i say hundreds of millions i mean like 150 to 200 million dollars which to most of us is a lot of money but when you're presenting yourself as a billionaire but let's say tomorrow you here's here's a good example aj if tomorrow morning his daughter was kidnapped let's let's mm-hmm. go let's make it a little bit nicer let's say mel gibson ransom style mm-hmm. all right not man on fire denzel style and she was taken and they ransomed her for money and then we'll go, we want all the money that you can get your hands on. We want, you know, you keep saying that you're worth $4 billion. We want $4 billion cash. And granted that in most people, they're not worth that kind of money. But let's say they said we want $1 billion. I am. Right. I'm we, worth that much. Well, then throw some money into the company. Um, <laughs> reinvest in America, AJ. Make America great again through the Chicago Podcast Network. There you go. Uh, but... You see what I'm saying though? Like he can't get his hands on that money. The most he would be able to get his hands on is a hundred million dollars. And right. I, and then some people would go, well, that's still a lot of money. Yes, but that's not nearly as much money as he's claiming. He lies about how much he's worth. He lies about plans that he has. He lies that he cares about shit. He doesn't give a fuck about abortion. That's my thing with him. As people go, well, he says that he's this. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit about stuff like that. He cares about saying what he can say to get the election. And at some point, He's going to be, let's say he becomes president. What? Nothing that he has said in the year that we've been doing this has given me any indication on the first day in office, what's the first thing he's going to try to do? Is Nothing. It, that, that's the thing. I'm going to get Mexico to pay for a wall. How? I'm going to make them do it through a trade deficit. Okay, but that's not how a trade deficit works. It doesn't matter. They'll pay for it. And then you have, you know, Vicente Fox and, and uh, the current president of Mexico going, we're not paying for a wall. 
Like it doesn't work. Nothing that he says works in the way that he says it does, and he will make work for him. And it just gets to the point where my brain wants to explode because everyone is standing around. The fact that you can't have somebody walk up to him on stage and go answer this question directly. And if he starts to, no, you're not answering, like, the, the, no one's allowed to do that anymore, and it's starting to scare the hell out of me. So, I mean, this this same person I have a date, I'm not going to mention their name, when, you know, when I said what I said, and by the way, if anyone was listening, no, I'm not that judgmental, I always give the person the option, because I kind of put out there on Front Street what my belief is you know what my so my political philosophy is and everything so i give them i give people the chance of saying okay you can either deal with it let's talk about it or part ways because i'm fine with it if people don't believe in my own social anarchism philosophy and i'm i'm okay with that but more to the point so when they said Who, who'd you vote for and i said well this go around sanders it's like, so you want free stuff? And I go, well, it's not about free stuff. It's, it's really not about that. I mean, I want to see a better healthcare system. I like to see colleges, both two and four year and technical schools, more affordable for people to go to go get an education and everything, so forth and so forth. And, you know, as they were going this diatribe about socialism, I'm like, well, that's not what socialism is, this is what it is and everything. I said, so why you want Trump? He goes, well, he's going to make Mexico pay for it. I'm like, but that's free. What you are advocating for is there's going to be a wall that's going to be built and paid for by Mexico. Therefore, it's free. How's that any different than you're complaining about Bernie Sanders wanting free education? I'm still waiting. Do you? I, we're coming up on the end of the show, but I have a question for you that might lead into our next show. But here's my: you and I are both pretty liberal guys, but we're also in Maybe. the conversations. Well, okay, but in the conversations that we've had, we're all both both very practical and pragmatic guys, yes. and that is important for what we're talking about. And I think my question to you is this: Is it possible that we as liberals? are too open and accepting of other people's beliefs that it ends up hurting our own arguments because we want to show no, no. And, and here's why I'm saying no for myself um, I'm all I'm all for open discourse and um, listening to the other side and hearing what they have to say and everything now having said that um, I may not agree with you and I think that's what the problem lies is when the opposition disagrees with someone, in this case it's Trump, is not open to the oppositional argument, then that's the problem. And we're starting to see that more and more with this quote-unquote movement of people who go to Trump rallies because they're not willing to listen, because they've never listened to the other side. Of the argument. They're not willing to acknowledge like states like Mississippi that has a very, very low education rate, that has a very, very high poverty rate, that they don't understand that what they are voting for, particularly certain elected officials and certain referendums, that they just don't get. That the situation they're they're in is dire. 
So they much rather throw water out of the boat while the boat has a leak in it than fix the leak. Ex- fix the leak. You, you know, you, I'm gonna, I'd rather put my finger in the hole that's leaking and get everybody in there, even though mine's a little bit temporary, but I still know there's a root problem. There's a root problem to what's going on here, and even though I'm putting a little bit of a Band-Aid on it, I'm still going to fix it and everything. So that's the problem, and there's still this problem of certain struggles of oppression that's still going on there with the people who go to these Trump events. And there's also this illogical reasoning these people have as well. And there's some people I've ran into in my own town who voted for Trump and Cruz, by the way. I mean, we're talking about Trump, but Cruz is in the the same boat. That because of what is being expressed and these people are following both Trump and Cruz... And they're expounding on these things. It's like, oh, you're wrong, and here's why. I'm like, well, okay, but here's constructive criticism. I don't want to hear it. La, 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 la. I'm like, okay, so you don't want to hear it because you really don't want to acknowledge there's a real problem here. Right. No, and that's 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 a good point. There's also, to me, the you, you mentioned it when you were talking about this person saying, oh, you want everything free. And you kind of want to look at those people who say that and say, let me get this straight. Your argument to me is that if I, if we make things a little bit better, that we are somehow going to open the floodgates for everybody to sit around on ass and do nothing. Is that what they think? That they, these are the same people who tell you that well, that there are people who make welfare a lifestyle, and you go, yes, but it's the same number of people who make serial killing a lifestyle. Like, yeah, there are people who do sorts of stuff, but the, the story of the welfare queen, it, you know, first of all, that story in and of itself was debunked, but I, I just, I don't want to, I, I don't understand how when I, when Bernie, not even when I, but when Bernie Sanders stands up on stage and gives a speech and says, I want education at public institutions to be free to come out of your tax dollars. I want the richest people to go back to playing the tax rate that they were paying when the American economy was at its strongest. And people go, well, you just want to give stuff away to, to, to the, and it's racist as hell. I'm sorry. I'm tired of, I'm tired of having to bounce around this, AJ. When people start going, oh, well, you want to give it to poor people. Poor people is just another word for black people and Mexicans. That's what they're saying. They don't want people who, who are minorities to get anything because they have this in their head that they're going to sit around on ass and do nothing. Where it's a majority of the people who are on welfare in the United States are what, AJ? Oh, I'm sorry. Say that one more time. The majority of people who are in the United States on welfare are what ethnicity or race? What are they? Oh, it, they're usually black, Hispanic. No, they're or not. No, they're not. The majority of people on oh. welfare in the United States are white. Because of the rural areas, AJ. Well, if, uh, rural areas, okay. I mean, I'm not saying in the yeah. cities it's different, but if you go out to the Midwest, like, and when I say the Midwest, I mean like Nebraska, Oklahoma, uh, right, right. you know, out, out there in the sticks, those are the people who are getting either food stamps, uh, the the smart or snart money, or my favorite, which is you know farm subsidies, which is just another version of welfare that we don't consider welfare because it's for the agricultural community, but that's another form of it. But these are the right. people who go out and say, oh, well, it's all the you know all the minorities who are on the system. No, 
First of all, the, the ones who are illegal immigrants don't qualify for it anyway. And then the ones that do, that, that do get it, majority of people are on welfare for a max of 18 months. That's the average. The, most people are off of welfare, you know, within six months to a year. And then there are the ones who stay on for a really long period of time. Most of those have mental health issues that aren't being addressed by a defunded healthcare system. Which is why, you know, if you look at Illinois' primary results, and we talked about this in the last episode. Chicago County, AJ. Uh, Chicago County. That <laughs> will never be let down. I'm sorry. No, that's great. <laughs> um, if you look at, you know, the counties that voted for Trump and Cruz, I mean, like I said before, I mean, the ones who voted for Cruz, I wasn't really shocked by those counties, you know. And neither was Trump, the counties that voted for Trump and everything. But I think that's more of the problem is that when you have, like, rural areas – that are in dire straits and they see government as the problem and when they start hearing this person that's like you know they're not the government and they're shooting from the hip type of style of rhetoric and everything that's very attractive and even though that may be attractive it's not something that needs to be in government you know well and so I- yeah i mean like in illinois there's problem with agriculture there's a problem with main street there's a problem with school there's a problems with a lot of other things but you don't solve it by putting people in there because they speak to your certain personal view and i guess when i say that is yeah the personal is political but you, you also have to look at the situation as okay this is what I'm hearing. This is what I believe in. There's a little bit of overlap, but how is it going to help the greater good? And I'm still utilitarian in that way, that I'm still going to look at the greater good than for myself. And I'm right there with you. And I, I we're coming up on the end of this. We've got a couple minutes left, and I would simply say this. Uh, you don't play a lot of video games, right? Uh, it depends on what it is. Okay. I play a lot of video games. It's generally speaking how I spend my nights after 10 o'clock. Um, shooting from the hip is the least accurate way to shoot. I just want to throw that out there. So they can go out. And, and to me, like that's the thing I think about whenever somebody throws out the term, well, they shoot from the hip. I said, yes, that means they tend to miss a lot. Because shooting from the hip is not accurate. And you have these guys who go up on stage and say whatever the hell they want to say. And all these people start cheering. And they think that they're being, you know, validated by these people's opinions. And at the end of the day, man, it's just racist. It's not even racist. Because racist to me is a term that we use way too much. Um, I don't think that Donald Trump is a racist. I honestly don't even think that Ted Cruz is a racist. I think that they are classist. Which is oh, they're very much that. I, which don't is what get, I think, don't get me wrong; they're very much that. I think that I think that what we think of as racism in America now, in many cases, is more classism, and I think that a guy who can go up on stage and legitimately argue that he wants to throw all the members of a religion out of the country and let them come back, and people cheer, it just tells me that people are either so afraid of what's going on in the world that they don't know what to do or they legitimately like the, the one phrase man that gets to me more than anything else is trump says trump says what the rest of us want to say i, was like, I don't want to say that and you shouldn't either what he's saying is horrible shit but people are standing up in droves for this guy 
And I, I don't know, man. I, I All I know is that we, we're looking forward to this thing. And barring a major political maneuver by Republican establishment, which I've always pictured as that evil lair that Monty Burns has on The Simpsons, that guy's going to be their nominee and could be president. And I don't know about you, AJ, but I, I honestly, like, we, we all joke about it. Like, I'll move to Canada. I'll move to Canada. But I'm not going to actually move to Canada. Neither are you. But we're going to be forced to live here, most likely for eight years, under a somebody who is so egotistical that they don't care if they destroy everybody else as long as their little world that they've created for themselves loves them. And that's scary as hell. Well, and, and, and I will agree that, you know, Trump and, and Cruz are classists. Um, but for those who, like, also know that I feel that if you're classists, you're also racist because they're all intersectional. Because if you have division in class, that means there's division in race, there's a division in sexual orientation, there's a division of sex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all the issues that we know are very much intersectional at one point or another. And if we don't address issues as intersectional issues, then we're not going to win at the end of the day. All right. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of Outfront, ladies and gentlemen. AJ, say goodbye to the people. Bye, people. Uh, this has been Out Front on the Chicago Podcast Network. I am Nick Serranos. That was AJ Signary. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Chicago Podcast, Chi-Town Podcast One. And you can find us, uh, email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, AJ, anything to add? Anything you want to promote, talk about? Anything we should be watching for in the next week? No, um, just check out Firebrand and, you know, look, check out for new episodes with that. And, you know, always subscribe for Out Front with Nick and I. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. We out. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network.